Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the high, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Is that pretty good stuff right here. <laughs> he says it's for a bumper video. I don't know what that oh, means. Oh, fine. You don't know the words? What are we well, we'll just try it. All right. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is gone. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. I don't know. Are you getting all of this? Hello. How are you? Jingle bells, Thomas Mouse, Robin Knight, Snag, the Batmobile, Watch his wheel, Joker took ballet. Hey. Believe it or not, we are only 10 days away from Christmas. So we are right in the heart of the Christmas season. And over these past few weeks, I have immersed myself in Christmas music. Now, one of my favorite Christmas songs to listen to right now is Someday at Christmas by Stevie Wonder. It is a Christmas classic, and I would sing it for you this morning because, you know, Pastor Gabe sang last week. But my singing voice is horrible. So I will spare you my singing. See, if I sang this song for you this morning, you would not be able to recognize it, and I would end up sounding like some of the people in that video <laughs> that we just watched a minute ago. <laughs> not all of the people. <laughs> some of the people. <laughs> but I want to read you some of the lyrics from this song. So at the very beginning of this song, Stevie sings, Someday at Christmas... Men won't be boys, playing with bombs like kids play with toys. 
One warm December, our hearts will see a world where all are free. Some day at Christmas, there'll be no wars. Once we remember what Christmas is for, when we have found what life's really worth, there'll be peace on earth. There will be peace on earth. Now, one reason I love this song is because it highlights the reality that things are not as they should be on earth. The song points to the realities that there is war, slavery, and brokenness in our world, and it points to the reality that we live in a world without peace. And the song doesn't just point out the brokenness of our world, it gives us hope. It points to the reality that someday at Christmas there will be peace. It taps into our longing for a world without brokenness, sin, strife, and war. This song highlights the longing we all have for peace. But truth be told, it can be hard to find peace around Christmas time, right? Because we live in a broken world. I know some of you have ongoing division and strife in your family that's brought out even more around the holidays. I know some of you may be overwhelmed with the workload at your job. I know some of you are probably stressed as you run around from store to store to purchase gifts for children, parents, and extended family. I know some of you may even be stressful, stressed about getting your house ready for family to come over for the holidays. See, the Christmas holidays can often be a chaotic and stressful time where it's hard to find peace due to the brokenness in our world. And I was reminded of this truth a few weeks ago when I read a recent article in the New York Times by Tish Harrison Warren. Now, Tish is a gifted pastor and an amazing writer, and in her New York Times article, she writes, the believer and the atheist alike can agree that there is an undeniable brokenness to the world, a sickness that needs remedy. Whether we assign blame to human sinfulness, a political party, corporate greed, ignorance, tribalism, or nationalism, or some of each, we can admit that things are not as they should be, or at least not as we wish they were. Now, this quote points to the reality that we all agree that things are not as we wish they were in our world. This brokenness in our world makes it hard to find peace even during the Christmas season. And I have a question for you this morning. What circumstances in your life right now make it hard to find peace? What situations are you facing that make you feel like you can't have peace this Christmas? We all face situations and circumstances that make it hard to find rest and peace. This is why I'm excited about our text this morning. Now, we are in a series called The First Songs of Christmas. In these past few weeks, we have been looking at the songs surrounding Jesus' birth in the first few chapters of Luke. So far, we have looked at Mary's song and Zachariah's song, and today we will look at another song in Luke chapter 2. And through this song, we're going to see that we can have peace through our Savior. This is what we see through our song in Luke chapter 2 this morning, that we can have peace through our Savior. Now, we will not only see that we can have peace through our Savior. In this text, we will also see three reasons we can have peace. This morning, we will see we can have peace because of God's presence, power, and praise. God's presence, power, and praise. Now, first, we will see that we can have peace because God humbled himself to offer us his presence. 
In our text, we see it is possible for us to have peace because Jesus, the God-man, humbled himself so we could experience his presence. So let's look back at our text this morning, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It reads, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In this passage, the first character we encounter is Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus is the grandnephew of Julius Caesar and his adopted son, and he eventually became the king and emperor of the Roman Empire after the death of Julius Caesar. During the rule of Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire was at the height of its power and it enjoyed a period of relative peace. And given his position, Caesar Augustus had great power. So we see in verse one, he issued a law that everyone under the rule of the Roman Empire had to get registered. And this registration was basically a census where Rome was trying to get a survey of the population in order to collect taxes. See, even back in the ancient times, the government wanted to get money through taxes. So this registration basically required Joseph to leave his home in Galilee to go up to Bethlehem to fill out this census because it was a Jewish custom to go to the hometown of your ancestors for this registration. Joseph is a descendant of King David, so he was required to go to Bethlehem. And in our text, we see that Joseph doesn't go to this registration alone. He brings along his wife, Mary, who was pregnant. Now, back in Luke chapter 1, the angel told Mary she would miraculously get pregnant as a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we see that she has indeed gotten pregnant as a virgin because verse 5 of our text says Mary is pregnant with the child. So Joseph traveled with his pregnant wife, and I feel bad for Mary because it was a 90-mile trip. And they didn't have no cars with heated seats during this time. So it would have been a crueling trip for Mary in her late, late in her third trimester to travel with Joseph. But in our text, we see that Joseph and Mary make it to Bethlehem. And while they're in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have her child. Now, it may seem coincidental that Mary went into labor during her time in Bethlehem, but it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We see this in the Old Testament book, Micah, which reads, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, through this text, we see that the promised Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem and that God promised to raise up a king for Israel out of the city of Bethlehem over four centuries before Jesus was born. Now, as we move back to the first few verses of Luke chapter 2, we see that 
there was a problem surrounding Jesus' birth. See, there wasn't any room in the inn, I-N-N, for Mary to have the baby. Now, I'm not talking about the holiday inns. Mary and Joseph were not out looking for a room at a hotel because the small town of Bethlehem would not have had anything like that. But during this period, an inn refers to a two-story house. On the second floor of these houses, visitors would stay during their travel time. And on the first floor, there would be a stable for animals. Now, there wasn't enough room at their end for them to have the baby, so Mary had her child in an animal stable, and we don't know if there were any animals there, but we do know that there was a manger there, because the text says that after Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, that she wrapped him in cloth and put him in a manger, and a manger is a feeding trough for horses and cattle. Now, who would have ever imagined that the Savior of the world would be born in an animal stable and placed in a feeding trough for cattle? Beyond that, who would have ever thought that our eternal God would humble himself by taking on human flesh? In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. These verses highlight the truth that Jesus existed eternally as God. See, he was one of the three persons of our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he willingly chose to humble himself by being born as a man. Jesus, the God-man, humbled himself to bring us peace through his presence, and this truth should wow us. Now go with me here a second. There is a United States senator by the name of Cory Booker. Now I don't know much about Senator Booker's political views. I have been on a fast from American politics, thank God. (laughs) So I'm in no way endorsing his political views or anything he says or does. So you don't got to email me and say, Henry, I can't believe you endorsed Cory Booker in your sermon. Because I'm not. (laughs) But one thing I do know about Cory Booker is that he used to be the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. During his time serving as mayor in Newark, Senator Booker willingly chose to live in the housing projects in Newark, which had pretty dilapidated housing. And this was pretty shocking to me because I never heard of a mayor choosing to live in a housing project in one of the most dangerous areas in their city. Now, earlier this year, I came across this article in Politico written by Michael Grunwald called, Is Cory Booker for Real? And in this article, the author writes, Senator Cory Booker was educated at Stanford, Oxford, and Yale, but he likes to say he got his real education at Brick Towers. The dilapidated and dangerous housing project in inner city Newark, New Jersey, where he spent eight years as a tenant, not by necessity but by choice, living in a 16th floor apartment that often lacked heat, hot water, and elevator service among poor neighbors trapped on the slum side of the American dream. This celebrated black prodigy from a comfortable white suburb took an extended tutorial in urban adversity. Now, the author of this article was also surprised that Cory Booker chose to live in a housing project for eight years. 
And it makes sense for the author to be surprised. I mean, Cory Booker went to elite schools like Stanford, Yale, and Oxford. He grew up in a wealthy family and has developed a successful political career. So it doesn't make sense for him to willingly choose to live in a housing project. Our culture emphasizes upward mobility. So it doesn't make sense to us when we see a wealthy person choosing to live in a rough housing project. And honestly, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't have done it. But in our text this morning, we see that we should be more surprised by Jesus than Cory Booker. Because Jesus left the perfection of heaven for the projects on earth. He left the comfort of heaven for chaos on earth. He left the beauty of heaven for brokenness on earth. In heaven, there was no murder, theft, war, discrimination, sexual immorality, family division, or strife. But Jesus, the God-man, willingly chose downward mobility, and he did it to bring us peace. I don't know. I don't want you to miss this. Because I think that we can talk about the incarnation of baby Jesus so much that it doesn't wow us anymore. But this is truly remarkable and unique. Almost every religion is about what people can do to get to God. But in Luke chapter 2, we see that God knew we could not get to him. So he came down to us through a virgin named Mary. This is why in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And because God came to be present with us, we can truly experience PC. Jesus entered into our sinful, divided, and broken world, so now we can have peace because God humbled himself to offer us his presence. This is why we can have peace through our Savior. Amen? Now, as we move back to our text, we see not only that we can have peace because God humbled himself to offer us his presence, Secondly, we see that we can have peace because God reveals his power to the powerless. In this text, we see that God shows his powerful plans to those with little power in the eyes of their society. To see this truth, let's look back at our text this morning, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It reads, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now in in these verses, we see that after Jesus' birth, there were some shepherds in the region of Bethlehem. And these shepherds were watching over their sheep during nighttime. Then suddenly an angel of the Lord appears, and suddenly there's a bright light surrounding these shepherds. And these shepherds are shocked, afraid, and terrified due to this sudden appearance of an angel sent by God. And this makes sense, right? If you were sending some emails at night for work and an angel just popped up in your living room with a bright light around him, you would probably be afraid too, right? So it makes sense for these shepherds to be afraid. And there is some irony in this passage because this angel sent by God appears to shepherds. I mean, I would expect this angel sent by God to appear before people with more power in their society. Since Jesus has been born the Lord of lords and king of kings, I would expect an angel sent by God to appear before the Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar, or some top government official. But the angel appears before a few ordinary shepherds. This is ironic because shepherds didn't have much power or significance in this society. In his commentary on Luke, the Bible scholar Joel Green writes, 
Shepherds in an agrarian society may have small land holdings, but these would be inadequate to meet the demands of their own family. As a result, they might hire themselves out to work for wages. They were then peasants located toward the bottom of the scale of power and privilege. This quote highlights the reality that shepherds didn't have much power during this time period when Jesus was born. But despite this truth, God sent his, his angel to powerless shepherds to send them a powerful message. In verse 10, we see that the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. First, the angel tells these shepherds not to fear. Then he informs them that he is bringing them good news, which will bring them incredible joy. And then he lets the shepherds know that this joyful good news is for everyone. See, the angel basically lets them know that this good news is for Asian Americans, Latinx Americans, African Americans, European Americans, Middle Eastern Americans, Native Americans, and non-Americans. This angel basically lets them know that this good news is for those with high income, middle income, low income, and no income. He basically lets them know that this joyous good news is for children, teenagers, and adults. The angel basically lets these shepherds know that this good news is for the documented, undocumented, female, male, gender non-conforming, atheist, agnostic, and religious. He basically lets them know that this good news is for those married, divorced, or single. The angel basically lets these shepherds know that this joyous good news is for everyone. Amen? Now, after he announces this, that this joyous good news is for everyone, the angel goes on to say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In verse 11 of our text, we see that the angel informs the shepherd that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Now it is significant that Jesus is born in the city of David because in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with King David, the most prominent king of the Jewish people. God basically promised David that from his lineage, he would raise up an eternal king whose rule would never end. So the angel in our passage is letting these shepherds know that the baby born in the city of David is the promised king and Messiah. And the angel uses three words to describe this baby born of the Virgin Mary. He refers to him as Savior, Christ, and Lord. The first term, Savior, refers to someone who delivers or saves their people from trouble. The second term, Christ, refers to someone who is a Messiah. And the term, Lord, is often used to refer to our sovereign God. It makes sense to use these terms to describe Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is the fulfillment of God's promise in the Old Testament to send a Messiah. And he is God, thus he is the sovereign Lord. Now, it's kind of ironic that the angel calls Jesus this child born and placed in a feeding trough, Savior, Christ, and Lord, because these terms were commonly used to refer to the emperor Augustus Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire. But through this verse, the angel is letting these shepherds with little power know that Jesus is the true Savior, Christ, and Lord. Because he is going to establish an eternal kingdom far greater than the Roman Empire or any empire. Now, after telling these shepherds about the truth of this Savior, Jesus, he says to them, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth 
and lying in a manger. After announcing the birth of this great Savior, the angel lets them know that they can go see this Savior Christ and Lord in Bethlehem. Now, they didn't have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or anything like that back then, praise God. So Mary couldn't post a picture of her new baby online. So the angel lets these shepherds know that they will find baby Jesus by looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth in a manger in Bethlehem. In this verse, we see that God revealed his power to the powerless shepherds because he told them where they could go to see the powerful savior of the world. And this is what God does. He reveals his power to the powerless by pointing them to our powerful savior, Jesus. Through the message of this angel, we see that God reveals his power to the powerless. And I was reminded of this truth last month because I went to go see a film called Harriet starring Cynthia Erivo. Now, this film is about the historical figure Harriet Tubman, a former slave in the United States who garnered her freedom and became an abolitionist. In this film about Harriet Tubman's life, I saw how deeply Harriet was shaped by her Christian faith. And this film clearly illustrated the truth that God reveals his power to those that society deems powerless. See, when Harriet was a young woman, she found out that her slave master in Maryland planned to sail her further south away from her family. She was distraught about this situation. So in a scene in the movie, she is shown crying out in prayer to God. And during her prayer, her European male slave master comes over and tells her to stop praying. Then he tells her that God can't hear her prayers because she's black. See, her slave master thought that God only heard the prayers of those deemed powerful by their society. So it makes sense for him to think that God could not hear her prayers because she was black in a white supremacist society that said that white people were superior. And on top of that, she was a slave and a woman with no education, but she lived in a society that favored white land-owning men. She was at the bottom of the totem pole in her society, but, but despite the slave master's incorrect theology, Harriet kept praying because she knew about the God we see in Luke chapter 2. See, in this film, I saw that Harriet knew that God revealed his power to the powerless. And this truth became even more clear throughout the film. Because Harriet traveled over 100 miles by feet to gain her freedom from slavery in Philadelphia. Then she decided to go back to the South to free her family. And people told her she was crazy. They told her she was a black woman with no education. So she couldn't lead a group of slaves to freedom. But despite her naysayers, she knew God revealed his power to the powerless. So she went back to get her family and she successfully brought them to freedom. Then she became a conductor on the Underground Railroad, a network to help African slaves in the South travel to North for freedom. She led 13 missions in the South, freeing over 70 slaves. Now Harriet credited her success to the Lord. She's recorded as saying, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me, and he always did. Harriet was able to free herself and other African slaves from bondage because God reveals his power to those that society deems powerless. Despite her low station in society, God revealed himself and his power to her. Harriet's life is a testament that God reveals his power to those with little power in their society. Now, this truth should bring us joy. 
because we all face situations that make us feel powerless. I know some of you may feel powerless because of relational strife in your marriage or in a romantic relationship. I know some of you may feel powerless because of issues at your job. I know some of you may feel powerless because of discrimination that you face due to your age or gender or socioeconomic status or race. I know some of you may even feel powerless because you don't have a permanent home to lay your head at night. You know, and I know some of you may even feel powerless because of ongoing health problems that you're dealing with personally or in your family. But our text has good news for us this morning. God reveals his powerless to the powerless. And he ultimately reveals his power to us by pointing us to a baby in a manger. In Luke chapter 2, God shows us that there's a Savior Christ and Lord establishing a kingdom greater than the kingdom of Europe, China, Russia, Japan, or the United States. And this kingdom is joyous good news for all people. So no matter where you are this morning, God can reveal his power to you through the good news of Jesus Christ. He can reveal his power to you even if there are circumstances and situations that make you feel powerless this morning. Even in our powerlessness, God points us to our powerful Lord Christ and Savior Jesus. This is why we can have peace through our Savior. Amen. Now as we move back to our text, we see that we can have peace not only because God's presence and power. We also see that we can have peace because God lets us hear the praises of angels. Our passage this morning ends with angels offering a song of praise to our God. And this song points us to the truth that we can have peace through our Savior. Let's look at the last few verses of our text this morning. Beginning in verse 13 of Luke chapter 2. It reads, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, And saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In these last two verses of our text, we see that a multitude of angels suddenly gather together in the heavens. I don't know about you, but when I think about individuals suddenly gathering together, the first thing that comes to mind is a flash mob. So I want you to imagine if you were one of the shepherds and you had an angel suddenly appear to you while you were watching your sheep. Then this angel told you they had good and joyous news that a Savior, Lord, and Christ had been born that day in the city of Bethlehem. And on top of that, he told you where to go to see the Savior wrapped in cloth in a manger. And after that, imagine seeing a flash mob choir of angels above you singing a song together, suddenly appearing out of nowhere. Your minds would probably be blown, right? Now, I know we live in the 21st century, and we live in a secularized society that tells us only this material world exists. But despite this fact, there are spiritual forces and spiritual beings such as angels that exist, which our eyes often cannot see. But God allowed these shepherds to see a flash mob choir of angels above them. And these angels were singing, Glory to God in the highest heavens, on earth peace among those whom he favors. Glory to God in the highest heavens, on earth peace among those whom he favors. Now at the beginning of this song, The angels glorify God and praise him, and they give God this praise from the heavens. 
These angels are glorifying God for his divine intervention on earth. See, these angels were high in heaven so they could look down and see the brokenness and sin on earth. The angels saw all the division, war, abuse, murder, sexual immorality among humans. They saw all the drama, racism, discrimination, and darkness on earth due to our sin. The angels knew we were hopeless. So they glorify and praise God for intervening by becoming a baby born of a virgin through the incarnation of Jesus. Then the angels proclaim the truth that now there is peace on earth due to God's divine intervention. It was impossible for there to be peace on earth because of the brokenness of human beings. But now through God taking on flesh in the person of Jesus, there is peace on earth and praise from heaven. And toward the end of this song, we see that this peace on earth is for all who God favors. Now, this might sound exclusive, but it is actually inclusive because God's favor has covered the earth through the birth of King Jesus. Now, all who turn to him can find the favor of peace on earth. Now, I know some of you may wonder, what's the meaning of peace in this verse? In his commentary on Luke, The Bible scholar Robert Stein on this verse writes, Peace refers here to the fullness of blessing which the Savior Christ Lord brings and is essentially a synonym for salvation. This quotation highlights the truth that this peace talked about in this song refers to the complete package of blessings that have come through Jesus' incarnation. It also shows that the use of the word peace in this song points to the salvation that Jesus has brought through taking on flesh to save us from our sins. So this song of praise from the choir of angels shows us that there is truly now peace on earth. Through this song, we see that we can have peace on earth because God let us hear the truth through the praises of angels. These angels let us know there is now peace on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel some dissonance or conflict inside when I see that these angels sing peace on earth in verse 14 of our text. Because when I think about my past 18 months in Kansas City, the first word that comes to mind is not peace. Now, it's been a blessing for me to be downtown over these past four months, but my transition to Kansas City was rougher than I expected. And my entrance into ministry was more rocky than I thought it would be. Then a close family member suddenly passed away this past May, and it just rocked my world and my families. Over these past 18 months in KC, I have at times felt like it was much easier to find depression than peace on earth. Have you ever been there? I know some of you may be struggling to find peace on earth because you are juggling the demands of work kids, school, marriage, or a romantic romantic relationship. I know some of you may be struggling to find peace because you're dealing with financial struggles. I know some of you may be struggling to find peace on earth because you're dealing with depression and anxiety. I know some of you may be struggling to find peace on earth because you or someone you love is dealing with a serious health issue. And I know some of you may even struggle to find peace on earth due to the recent passing of a loved one. See, we all face circumstances and situations that make it feel impossible to find peace. But the song of the angels points us to the truth that we can have peace through our Savior. And it reveals that we can have peace through our Savior because our Savior Jesus has brought us salvation. See, we as sinful human beings could not 
have peace because we were cut off from our relationship with God. But Jesus left the familiarity of heaven to bring peace to the fallenness of earth. He was born in a manger so we could be born again. He lived a perfect and sinless life to cover over our sin. Jesus allowed nails to be driven through his hands and feet on a cross to heal our wounds. See, he allowed himself to feel separation from God the Father and the Holy Spirit to close our separation from God. He died on a rugged cross to set us free from death. And after being buried in a tomb for three days, he raised back to life to give us new life and him because of the gospel of Jesus Christ we can have peace through our savior this is the truth that our text points us to this morning now we can sing and join the choir of angels with conviction singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for humbling yourself and sending us a Savior, Lord. Pray that we would bask in that and glorify glory in that, Lord, and find great joy in that in this Christmas season, Father. We thank you so much for your grace and your goodness and your kindness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.